We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I am Nick Filato, rocking the solo pod today because unfortunately Dan could not join us, but we wanted to bring a comprehensive look at the Giants' UDFAs, the undrafted free agents that they added to this roster. A lot of interesting names, and we waited a little bit because we wanted to be thorough watching the film and also a lot of the early reports of potential free agents coming on to the Giants are just tryout players who don't end up getting signed. So we're going to be going over the players who the New York Giants signed according to their website, Giants.com, not ESPN.com because on their website, Kadarius Tony is still a rookie. Something's a little bit off there, but you know what? What can you do? So here are some of the undrafted free agents signed by the New York football Giants. First, you have running back Deshaun Corbin out of Florida State, tight end Austin Allen out of Nebraska, fullback, H-back, tight end, whatever you want to deem him, Jeremiah Hall out of Oklahoma, tight end, was a wide receiver a la Arison John, Andre Miller out of Maine, guard Josh Revis out of Kansas State, defensive tackle Jabari Ellis out of South Carolina, defensive tackle Antonio Valentino out of Florida, a productive edge out of North Carolina, Tom and Fox, defensive backs, Darren Evans out of LSU and Zion Gilbert out of Florida Atlantic, and then safeties, Yusef Corker out of Kentucky and Trenton Thompson out of San Diego State. And they're also joined by Jordan Mosley out of Maryland, Christopher Hinton out of Michigan, who is a defensive tackle, and then an edge prospect named Ryder Anderson, who played most of his career at Ole Miss, and then played with Micah McFadden at Indiana last season. I've never been one for math, but 15 guys, 10 on defense, 
five on offense. Let's jump right into some of these offensive players and start right there in the running back room with Deshaun Corbin out of Florida State, someone who I feel like has a realistic shot to make this roster. And I think there are several players on this list who can make the roster, and not just because it is a turnover year with a new regime coming in, a new coaching staff, new general manager, but some of these players are talented and the positions that they are going to slide into on the Giants depth chart are lacking certain depth, specifically at the safety position. But let's get into Corbin and go over some of the things that he can offer this New York Giants team. Now, I went through Deshaun Corbin's film and I watched plenty of him. He is not somebody who is going to be an absolute burner. He does not have the deep speed. I think he is good at making players miss in a phone booth. I think he is slippery, but he's not overly athletic. And if we look at his RAS score, which isn't always the best way to determine players' athletic ability, which you'll see throughout this podcast because there's plenty of people who have high RAS scores that I did not necessarily see translate to the film. Deshaun Corbin had a 5.4 out of 10 with the RAS. He ran a 4.6 with a 1.58 10-yard split and a 7.06 three-cone. And I feel like it probably is somewhat similar to his film, those metrics that I just listed, because he's not a great athlete. But I do feel like he really understands how to A, anticipate and set up blocks, and B, shade his body in a manner to force defenders to not have a great angle into the tackle point. It's something that I saw plenty throughout his film. He has good balance. He tempos his runs very well. This was somebody who was a Texas A&M transfer into Florida State, played 2020 and 2021 at Florida State. He finished his college career with... 1,771 rushing yards and 14 touchdowns. A lot of those were while a member of the Seminoles. In 2021, he had 887 rushing yards. It's a 6.2 yards per carry average with seven touchdowns. Caught 25 balls for 144 yards and a touchdown. Don't necessarily think he's dynamic in space catching the football, but he's certainly functional. He ran plenty of arrow routes, and I was sitting there being like, Jason Garrett, look! Let's run that because he caught several throughout the film. I think the game that impressed me most, a lot of people kind of look at the Notre Dame run. And yes, that was a wildly impressive long run that went for 89 yards for a touchdown. But I really appreciated his Louisville game. I I thought that was really, really good tape for Corbin. The dude had 11 carries for 159 yards, a touchdown, four catches for 32 yards. And it wasn't just lucky blocking or anything like that. If you watch the film, you'll see certain things pop. And I mentioned it a little bit before, his ability to anticipate blocks. And he was doing it from a variety of locations. There was this one pistol run late in the game. It was the fourth quarter. And he takes this run and he hits the strong side of the formation and they the Florida State Seminoles pulled somebody from the backside and he anticipated this run so well because Louisville did a good job clogging up all the rushing lanes and he just kind of stuttered and then juked right through the A gap and then as he did that the safety flew in he was going into the B gap and then he adjusted and went into the A gap and that was while another defender was coming from the backside to kind of just close off the angle for Corbin but Corbin anticipated that happening used his peripheral vision to see 
a blocker coming from the far side and then juked away from both of those defenders, outran another one, and then just got into space before kind of getting ran out of bounds. He also picked up an extra 10 yards outrunning a defensive back. That was a very impressive run for Corbin. And then he had another one that went for 75 yards in the third quarter, a little bit earlier than that. And this one was offset from the shotgun where it was just inside zone. He read the double team and then he exploded off the double team. But the thing that impressed me the most about this run was it looked like as he decided to go off the ass of the double team that it was going to be clear. But the defensive line kind of exchanged gaps mid-play and just flowed to the outside and it just totally clogged up where Corbin was going to go and he saw this happen the reactionary quickness that he displayed was excellent and he just jump cut back into the a gap after initially going to the b gap and then exploded for a 75 yard touchdown and he also juked out a safety to really maximize this run and then take this all the way to the house wildly impressive plays from Corbin in that Louisville game and then the Notre Dame run was the third play that I want to touch on because that was a power gap type concept where Florida State pulled their backside guard. They pulled their backside tackle. So they had double pullers skipping and going to the front side to kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage and then lead block. And Corbin does a really good job kind of being really patient and allowing those blocks to develop to pick up the backside linebacker and kick that end man on the line of scrimmage out. So it shows the tempoing and the patience in that run. And then once he gets to the second level, he followed the block of his wide receiver to set himself up in a one-on-one situation against the safety where, as I said earlier, he does a really good job in a phone booth and he's kind of slippery. He angled his body to just make this defender make a difficult tackle. The defender dove, did not execute great technique, missed the tackle, and then Corbin took it for 89 yards to the house. And I think Corbin, you look at the Giants depth chart right now, you have Antonio Williams, you have Gary Brightwell, you have Saquon Barkley, you have Matt Breida, Devontae Booker, he was released I think Corbin will be competing for a roster spot against Gary Brightwell and possibly Antonio Williams as well, and he has a realistic shot to make this squad. There's a lot of things to like about Corbin. Now, he's a rookie. He might not be perfect in pass protection as of right now. I didn't I didn't see anything glaring, but I didn't see anything all that great. Sometimes it seemed like he was a little bit tentative. But those things can possibly improve once he gets to the NFL. This is somebody who knows how to run the football, knows how to hit his landmarks, and knows how to adjust his rushing path. And I'm excited to see how he competes in training camp. But let's move on to, I feel like, a very interesting player. And that is Oklahoma's Jeremiah Hall. This is somebody who I tweeted after the Giants were reportedly in the running to sign him, that he reminded me of Elijah Penny. Now, he wasn't necessarily used too much like Elijah Penny, although he did take some carries. He's a tight end H-back, and he's really the only true H-back, if you look at the Giants roster right now, on the roster, which gives him a shot to possibly make the team. But It's going to be a little bit difficult just because he is such a tweener and he has to fit such a specific role. And I think his path to making this team will be on special teams, which it seems like that's a lot of these H-backs. Think about last year, the Giants had Caden Smith, who who ran that role very well in 2020. And then they go out, they keep Elijah Penny, they add Colin Gillespie to the roster. So he would be in that type of ilk, I would say. And you watch Jeremiah Hall, he really adjusts to his blocks well. I wouldn't say he's he's not going to be a wide tight end who's going to dominate the line of scrimmage. That's not necessarily him. But if you put him as an H-back and you use him as the sniffer on counter, he can really alter his body 
and angle himself to eliminate the defender's positioning from altering the play, if that makes any sense. So if the defender goes upfield, he's going to position himself to the front side of him and then kick him out, allowing there to be a rushing lane. If the defender stays tight, he's going to get to that outside shoulder and wash him down the line of scrimmage so the running back can run off of his ass. He did a really good job doing that in college. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit more difficult in the NFL, specifically because of his size, too. I mean, he's six foot one, 239 pounds, and is not the best athlete. But I will say this. While he was running routes at Oklahoma, you saw some nuance. He had some wiggle. You know, he gets to the top of his brakes, good old shoulder fake, little head nod, and then he breaks into the opposite direction. He's not going to be overly explosive in and out of his brakes. That's not necessarily his game, but he wasn't a bad security blanket at Oklahoma. He came up with some big plays throughout his time there. He had 32 catches on 36 targets for 334 yards and four touchdowns this last season. But again, his impact is going to be more contingent on his ability to block something that he showed throughout his college career. He can climb up to the second level, takes good angles of pursuit to attack those defenders, those linebackers, and those safeties, brings solid physicality to the point of attack, good lower leg drives, plays with good leverage. So if he is going to make this team, it's going to be because of his impact on special teams. And if the Giants and Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, which this is a big question mark, if they want to use some 12 personnel and they want a true H-back, because that's not Jordan Aiken's game. That's not Ricky Seals-Jones game. Washington used Seals-Jones in that matter, but Seals-Jones is not a blocker. That guy is more of a receiver. I mean, he was one at Texas A&M dating back to his college days. But if you go through Jeremiah Hall's tape, you'll be like, okay, this guy is a football player. And that's, I think, one of the best ways to describe him. He is just a football player. But will he have a spot on this Giants roster? If they want an H-back, if they want a fullback, then Jeremiah Hall can fill that. And I think he has the type of toughness that Joe Shane and Brian Dable are looking for. So another player that I'm excited to see throughout training camp. And then there's this other tight end, Austin freaking Allen out of the University of of Nebraska. This is a very interesting tight end. This is somebody I did a pre-draft write-up on, and I'll go over my overall thoughts on him. He's a six foot eight, almost six foot nine, two hundred and fifty-three pound tight end who came up with plenty of explosive plays at Nebraska. Now, if you look at his RAS score, he looks like an absolute slam dunk type of player because he is huge and he's really athletic according to RAS, but. I did not necessarily see somebody who was a great athlete out there. This is somebody to me who was a long strider, built up acceleration type of player who had a knack for getting open, which was somewhat a part of Nebraska's scheme. They did a really good job clearing out and opening up the seven route, the sale concept, where Allen ran good routes, but you can tell he's a little bit lumbering. He ran a 4.83. I actually wrote in my report that I felt like he was more of a 4-9 type guy, so I guess that kind of checks out. I just didn't see somebody who was overly explosive, not somebody who was very fast. But it sounds negative. This is somebody who knows how to get open, has that type of spatial awareness, and he's gigantic. I don't think he's a terrible blocker. I don't think he's probably as good of a blocker as you would like for somebody with his size. I think he's solid overall in that area. I think he can probably improve his upper body strength, which could happen once he has a little bit more time in an NFL weight room and all of those cliches, but that can realistically be true at the same time. I ended up having a low fifth round grade on Austin Allen, and the Giants got him as a UDFA, and I kind of take that as a win, and I don't know if Allen will make this roster. I mean, you look at the tight end position, Bellinger, you plug him in, 
You think Seals Jones and Aikens will make the roster. Aikens has the experience with Bischoff, the Giants tight end coach, but it's not necessarily a certainty. And Austin Allen is somewhat of a project right now who's not overly dynamic. He's not very fluid as a mover. He's a little bit stiff. He's not going to change directions and sink his hips in and out of breaks. It's not necessarily his game. This is somebody who can be a dangerous red zone weapon, dangerous third down weapon, and someone who could develop into a solid blocker because he has this type of frame. It's not a lot of guys who can even move like he does, even though it's not necessarily great for a tight end. But you have to ask yourself, can he play the Y? Yes. Can he be a big slot? Yes. Would you want him to be an H-back? Probably not, but it's hard to find Y tight ends. It's hard to find a tight end coming out of college who is going to be a plus blocker. I don't think Allen's there yet, but I think with that frame, he can develop into that. And then when you also think about the receiving possibilities of someone like an Austin Allen, you start to get interested. I mean, you watch the Wisconsin game. This guy was everywhere against Wisconsin. He was making plays down the field. If you go through his Minnesota game, He had two catches, one in the second quarter with 6.50 left, and the other one in the first quarter with 6.33 left, where he took these gigantic shots over the middle of the field, and he held on to the football. The one that was with 6.50 left in the second quarter, he was was in a tight stack as the H-back, and he ran just a dig route. It was a rounded dig route. And he catches the ball between three Minnesota defenders, high points. It climbs the proverbial ladder, brings it into his frame, and takes a huge shot. One safety clocks him. Another linebacker wraps his waist, holds on to the football. I mean, Joe Shane loves toughness. Austin Allen is very tough. He might not be all that athletic. Yes, he's developmental. But you go through his Minnesota tape, you go through his Wisconsin tape, and you can see the intrigue for somebody like him. I mean, he had the other play against Minnesota where he ran another dig route, was more of an over route, took a low shot right as he caught the football, held on. So you're talking about someone who is sure-handed, somebody who only had one drop last season in 2021. At 38 catches for 602 yards, two touchdowns on 48 targets, he only had two career drops throughout his time at Nebraska. He was under-recruited. He ended up being the Big Ten Conference tight end of the year in 2021. Goes undrafted. Now he has a shot to make the Giants roster. Now here is my quick synopsis on him from my pre-draft overall thoughts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Overall, Austin Allen is a gigantic, interesting, developmental tight end option who isn't a great athlete but possesses solid build-up acceleration. His frame, hands, and the athletic ability that he does possess allow him to be a solid target over the middle of the field. He has the potential to be a good blocking tight end, but he needs to work on his technique and possibly add a little bit more weight to his 6'8 body. Play strength is only adequate for a tight end, and he goes into the blocking point a little bit too high. No surprise there. Allen is a flyer who can be found late on day three who will more than likely stick to a practice squad. If Allen successfully develops as a blocker, he could be a solid tight end on the back end of a roster that would make a solid option on third down and in the red zone. And I stand by that. Love the large catch radius. Love the potential with Austin Allen. Let's move on to the University of Maine product. Andre Miller. This is somebody who was a wide receiver and now it looks like the Giants are going to try and convert him to play tight end. Now, can he be an H-back? Possibly. And this is somebody who, at his pro day, ran pretty exceptionally. I mean, he ran a 4-5-4 at six foot two, about 225 pounds. That's not that bad. This is an FCS product. It's hard to find the film on an FCS product. You saw a lot of highlights. He's running away from guys, as I would like to say, are going to be accountants and lawyers. So he's not necessarily playing NFL competition. He has a couple really nice, impressive, contested catches, which were not thrown all that well, to be real with you. But Miller was able to adjust his body and make those catches. I don't know how he's going to be as a blocker. What I did like was he has 32 and a half inch arms, which is pretty solid, but he has 10.6 inch hands. Those are big freaking hands right there. That is somebody who can really secure the football, and it really assists you when you have hands that big in catching, in terms of contested catches, in terms of catching through traffic, in terms of catching while you're getting just absolutely annihilated over the middle of the field, and just catching in general. When you look at Andre Miller last year, he had five drops. Two of them were against Elon, two of them were against William & Mary, and then one was against Delaware. According to Pro Football Focus, he had 12 drops throughout his career. Now, that's not great. I don't have the context as to why he was dropping these footballs and how bad those throws were just because it is hard and difficult to really find film of main football. So I look at Miller, and I think this is going to be a Rice and John type of situation. I want to kind of go over some of his other athletic testing. I should probably just name it all. So he tested 9.61 on the RAS. He benched 19 reps of 225. His vert was 37 inches. It's very impressive. His broad jump was 10 feet, 4 inches. Solid. Good. 40-yard dash was a 4-5-4. Four, 10-yard four, split of 1-4-9. Four, 
That is very impressive. That tests almost perfectly according to RAS, and I believe that would be has to be in like the 98th percentile if he were to be evaluated as a tight end. But the Giants are going to try to put more weight on him, and I don't know how fast he will be once all that weight is added. His three cone was sub seven, which is a six eight seven three cone, another very impressive time. And then his short shuttle was a four two two. So you're looking at a guy who tested very well athletically. Watch his film; he was a much better athlete than the players he was playing against, outrunning them. I mean, you watch the Albany tape. You find some highlights on YouTube. He's out running guys up the sideline and all that. It's not going to work in the NFL. I think this is going to be a developmental piece who can come onto the New York Giants and compete for a back-end roster spot, but will more than likely land on the practice squad. But you know what? If he really does develop, and we're going to look at this from a glass-half-full type perspective, the New York Giants are not necessarily deep at tight end in terms of their longevity. You have Bellinger. You have Austin Allen, who Miller will be competing with. But then once this year is over, what are we looking at? Seals Jones and Aikens are both on one-year deals. Chris Myrick, maybe he sticks around. Not 100% sure. I'm just saying that Miller could have a chance if he really balls out, but I would not bet on him making the team in year one. Giants brought in an offensive lineman as well, Josh Rebus out of Kansas State. He's an interior offensive lineman that played guard. He played 46 games with 23 starts at Kansas State, started 21 of those games at left guard over the last two seasons. I watched his Texas tape, and I came away thinking that this guy does a really good job on scoop type of blocks and and these lateral blocks where he has to gain the outside shoulder. So it makes me think that this guy has probably really good lateral agility. I didn't necessarily see that translate in space, but on the line of scrimmage, I felt like he did a solid job positioning himself where he needed to be whenever he needed to seal the defender away from a gap to the play side. So he could be aligned against a three technique who's on his outside shoulder and the run was going to his outside. And I felt like he did a good job exploding off of his inside foot and then using his broad frame to position himself to not allow that defender to fight through. Another thing I liked about him was he seemed pretty strong at the point of attack. A lot of core strength. There was a lot of times where I felt like his technique wasn't all that great. His pad level was a little bit high, but he was still able to hold defenders who are comparable in size, maybe a little bit smaller than he was, in the optimal position to not allow them to disengage because I felt like his grip strength and his core strength were pretty solid. Now, if you look at his RAS, this is somebody who doesn't have the biggest hands. He is 32.6 inch arms, so that's solid length for a guard. He's six foot five, 330 pounds though, and he tested very poorly. This is a lineman, but everything's relative to the position. So he didn't test all that well, and I felt like you kind of saw that when he was climbing up to the second level, but there were plenty of plays. You know, I watched some of the LSU game as well, and to start that game, I felt like he did a good job on these combo blocks working against these SEC defenders and not allowing them to gain an advantage on. But I will say this, he's not always great at the second level because he can be a little bit lumbering. But there was this play against Stanford in the second quarter. It was the beginning of the second quarter. It was a power gap play to the play side. And he kicked out into space and located this strong side linebacker. And he just absolutely pile-drived this dude right into the ground to spring a 30-yard run from the running back. And it was one of those plays where you're like, damn, that guy has mauler type of mentality. So if he can align you up, which is going to be more difficult at the NFL, he can really drive through your face and then steal your soul. So that's one thing I really appreciate about him. Now, 
it's really great to say this, the New York Giants offensive line has depth. They have veteran depth. They have competent depth, something they have lacked for quite a while right now. So Revis is probably going to have a little bit of a difficult time cracking the roster, but I think this is one of the better undrafted free agents in recent memory that the New York Giants were able to land. Let's switch on over to the defense, where the Giants, initially it was reported, they signed two Florida Gator defensive linemen, both of whom were transfers. One was Truesdale, and the other one is Antonio Valentino. Well, Truesdale ended up failing his physical, unfortunately, so he did not end up signing with the New York Giants. But Antonio Valentino did. Now, he was a grad transfer from Penn State over to the Florida Gators, and he played with the Gators in 2021, where he saw 425 total snaps. 245 of them were as a pass rusher, and 180 of them were as a run defender. Now, Valentino, very cool name, by the way, he has big mittens, 10.5-inch hands, almost 33-inch arms, and he stands about six foot three, 298 pounds. So similar type of build, not as long and maybe a little bit more dense than a Jihad Ward, the veteran that Wink Martindale now has again. He also had him back in Baltimore for a year and a half. Now, Antonio Valentino wasn't all that productive. He had 15 pressures, one sack, 16 tackles, 11 stops, six missed tackles, and then he had three tackles for a loss. And his one sack ended up coming on a stunt, twist, whatever you want to call it. It should be called a twist. A stunt is when you gap. I should probably explain this. I don't think I ever have. Stunt is when you gap exchange. A twist is what we kind of always refer to as stunts. That's when the penetrator comes, takes out the inside or the outside shoulder, depending on if it's the center of the guard or whatever. And then the looper comes and loops around. So the one sack that Valentino had was on a twist where I believe Zach Carter was the penetrator, and then Valentino just looped around in the center, did a terrible job picking it up, and he ends up sacking the Missouri quarterback for a loss of six, I believe. I think Antonio Valentino will probably have an uphill battle to crack this roster, but one thing that I did appreciate about his film is he's very resilient, because there were plenty of times where he was aligned at the 2i tech, which he's going to eat up double teams at that area whenever they want to do a duo type of run or an inside zone, and he would. And he would get pushed back a little bit. I would say he probably has adequate play strength right now. He would get pushed back a little bit. That's a lot of beef to take on when you're sub 300 pounds, but he was very resilient. He found ways to split double teams because he kept his leverage low. He kept his hat down, his hips low, and then he used his hands well to kind of maneuver his way to find the crevice to squeeze through, but he was conceding ground while he was doing that. However, I do appreciate how he aligned at one tech, two I, three, four I, five. He was used all over the Gator front. And I also think as a pass rusher, he's not dynamic, he's not overly athletic, but I think he does a good job working to the inside swim move. And he's a little bit crafty with his hands. Now, he's not going to bend through contact or create this separation and then explode into the pocket. But there was plays against South Carolina. There were plays against Florida State where I felt like he used his inside hand well to set up the swim move. One I have in my notes here in the first quarter against South Carolina where he was isolated against a guard. He really engages low hips, low leverage, but then he just lands his inside hand right on the shoulder pad, brings the outside hand over the top, and then gains separation. Just doesn't have the type of explosiveness to necessarily evade the guard, and the guard did a solid job recovering. 
And I noted that, and then I watched the Florida State game, which was a little bit later on in the year, and you saw something similar. And you also saw another play in the Florida State game where he just exploded off the snap and quickly clubbed the outside hand of the center down. This was as a nose technique on third down to pressure the quarterback and force an incompletion. So I think there are certain traits about Valentino that can be built upon, and I should probably just mention what he did while he was at Penn State as well. In his senior season at Penn State, he played 343 snaps, so he was a rotational type of player at 11 pressures, three sacks according to pro football focus, and six stops. So he wasn't all that productive in the Big Ten, but once he got to Florida, still not that productive, but you could see reasons why he would latch on to a 90-man roster. Don't ultimately think he's going to be a 53-man roster type of player, but I do think he has a chance to latch on to the Giants practice squad and possibly develop, and I also believe that Wink Martindale will appreciate his versatility and his ability to be used all up and down the line of scrimmage. And his testing, by the way, because I haven't mentioned that yet. Again, he's like 6'2", teetering on 6'3", 298 pounds, ran a 5'2", with a 178 10-yard dash, benched 225 pounds, 25 times, just under a 30-inch vert with an 810 broad jump and then a 767 three cone. Another defensive lineman brought in by the New York Football Giants is Christopher Hinton out of the University of Michigan, a six foot four, 305-pound interior defensive lineman. He's the son of another Chris Hinton. So I guess Chris Hinton the first, who was an offensive lineman for the Colts for a little while, very good player in his own right back in the 80s. Now this is a player, Chris Hinton Jr., if you want to go with that, who ran a 5-2-8-40 with a 31 and a half inch vert, 106-inch broad jump went through his film doesn't necessarily jump out at you when you watch the film I felt like he had a couple good plays against Georgia one was near the end of the first half where he split a double team and tackled Zamir White another one was I think with about nine minutes left in the third quarter where he just kind of set up in the uh, initially he was a one technique but he set up in the three technique spot to set like a basically an edge while Aiden Hutchinson uses upfield burst to really pressure this was in a second and 10 situation looked like Michigan maybe anticipated a pass but it was a run with James Cook and I felt like Hinton did a good job just closing off the B gap and then coming off of the block and making the tackle on James Cook and then when you watch the Iowa tape he had several pretty solid plays there but overall I felt like Chris Hinton's tape was it wasn't sexy, which, I mean, it's a defensive line type of spot. They're not necessarily the most sexy type of players all of the time. But he did a solid job, I felt like, at least leveraging his gaps in the run game, not getting bullied off the spot and being where he needed to be. I felt like he played with good leverage, and that allowed him to kind of hold his own, I will say, against double teams, find ways to split double teams and separate from those double teams. Overall, I didn't see somebody who was overly explosive or athletic. He didn't have any sacks last season. Had one sack in 2020, and that was it. And then 17 pressures last year with 20 stops and then 27 total tackles. Again, executed his assignments well. Wasn't bullied off the spot all that often. And I appreciated the strength that he displayed in his hands once he got into the framework of the offensive lineman's chest. He was pretty violent with his attempt to shed. If he tried to shed, a lot of times he was just kind of staying in place, occupying the space, and then closing the rushing lane depending on what the running back was doing. So Christopher Hinton, the defensive line right now, 
Giants drafted DJ Davidson. He has the inside track to make the roster. But if one of these defensive linemen that we're going to go over on this podcast outplays DJ Davidson, I wouldn't be shocked if they make the roster. I do, however, feel like with Don Wink Martindale running a lot of odd front type of defenses, Hinton makes for a pretty solid option for a four-eye or maybe a five technique if you want to go with a little bit of an oaky type of front. I think he had he profiles well to play that type of position where you need those individuals to hold the point of attack as a run defender because that's what Hinton can do. He can hold that point of attack. He can disregard blocks well. So I think that is one interesting way to where Hinton can make the roster because he can execute that assignment well within the construct of what Wink Martindale wants to do philosophically in terms of stopping the run and allowing the defenders to either blitz on the back end or play in coverage. Another defensive lineman brought in by the New York Football Giants was South Carolina's Jabari Ellis, a six foot one, almost six foot two, 278 pound Defensive lineman who I saw from his film had a solid first step and used his hands well when he can key this snap. Now, athletically, he tests very good according to RAS. At a 7.49, he ran a 4.78 40-yard dash with a 1.66 10-yard split. Both of those are over the 9.7 metric. According to relative athletic score, his three-cone was 7.69 and his short shuttle was a 4.7. So I think Ellis has some interesting traits in terms of his get-off, how how sudden he can be coming off the line of scrimmage. He finished his college career with 81 tackles, had 41 in 2021 with five tackles for a loss and a sack and a half, finished his career with three sacks and nine and a half tackles for a loss. And if we look at his pressures, he had 17 pressures in 2021. I watched his Kentucky, Georgia, and Texas A&M game. In each of those games, he had at least one play that really jumped out at you. Against the Aggies, he had this play where he was a two technique directly over the top of the guard towards the strength. And right at the snap, he engages with both his hands feels the momentum of the guard shifting to his right so it was going to be some sort of zone run and he was on the back side because the running back was offset to his direction initially and he does such a good job stepping outside to gain the outside shoulder and outside leverage against this guard and then just swimming quickly over the top with a quick outside hand club to completely separate from the guard and also not allow the tackle who was going to climb and kind of replace the guard when the guard climbed up to the second level. He beat him to the spot and then he was able to get a three-yard tackle for a loss on the running back. Against Kentucky, he had a very similar play where he defeated the guard. This one was more of a three-tech shotgun offset to the backside, the running back on this play. And this time he goes inside with the quick inside hand club, swim over the top, completely separate. No one's there to pick him up. That was about a one-yard tackle for a loss against Georgia he had another similar play where he was able to split a double team it kind of looked like they there might have been a miscommunication on that play but my point is he is somebody who was flashed in each of the games that I watched him play in and I feel like it was all due to his ability to time the snap up use lateral agility and then use his hands to create separation against a guard who is anticipating him not to be that quick so that speaks to his skill set now Jabari Ellis he has that type of build where it's like where exactly is he gonna play because he's has the low natural leverage being only six foot one he's about 278 pounds and similar to Hinton 
I think he could play possibly a five technique in an odd front base type of situation. Now, going over their film, Ellis wasn't a terrible run defender, I, I wouldn't say, but he didn't necessarily have the same type of, I'm going to plant myself in the ground and not be moved as Christopher Hinton from Michigan did. But I feel like Ellis offers a little bit more in terms of his ability to rush the passer. Now, the stats don't necessarily substantiate that, but I feel like there are some athletic traits within Ellis's tape that suggest that he could have an impact as an interior pass rusher. It's just how often can he actually have an impact? He doesn't obviously have like Aaron Donald type of skills or anything like that. It would be very, very situational, but still, I think an interesting name to find as a UDFA. But let's move on to another player player that I feel like does have a chance to make the team, whereas Ellis is maybe a little bit more of a practice squad guy. And this is Edge Tommen Fox out of North Carolina. This is the individual who LT says he's a big fan of. Now, Lawrence Taylor went to UNC, so he's watched a lot of Tommen Fox, and he had a lot of time to watch Tommen Fox because Tommen Fox played for the Tar Heels in 2016. He was in college that long, so he's an older prospect. And I really liked his tape. I think he has a chance to make this team. I think he's very interesting. I think as a pass rusher, his ability to get to the half man and then win the half man relationship by either converting speed to power or just with superior hand usage was pretty impressive for somebody who wasn't drafted. Like the traits that Fox showed on his tape are translatable to the NFL. And when you go through his production, this guy was wildly productive. Now, he played a long time in college, but he finished his college career with 151 pressures. And according to Pro Football Focus, 36 snaps. But then you always go over to the sports reference to see, and the sacks ended up being 44 and a half. With 179 total tackles, an interception, five forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and then a pass deflection as well. Fox was very productive. And it wasn't like this was just one season of great production. He had three separate seasons with over 10 and a half tackles for losses and three seasons with more than seven sacks. This is a player who was able to pin his ears back and create pressure. He had 29 pressures in 2021 with nine sacks. He had a season with 35 pressures, a season with 36 pressures, 29, 25, 23, and three. So he produced when he was at North Carolina. He's six foot two, just a shade under six foot three, 253 pounds. With over 33-inch arms and over an 80-inch wingspan, his hands are a shade under 10 inches. So this guy has a lot of measurables that you really like. Now, he hurt his hamstring, so he never got the full workout at his pro day or at the combine. He did do the 225-pound bench press of 24 reps, which really translates on his film. So let's get into some of the traits that I like. I talked about his... Ability to convert speed to power. What I mean by that is he can attack the half man, you know, attack angles, use speed to, to stress offensive linemen, and then he can use a bull rush, a long arm move, get his hands on the offensive lineman, and then just use excellent lower leg drive to basically just bully and put offensive linemen on skates. He got the best of Iquanu in the game against North Carolina State. Had this one sack against him where he won the half-man relationship. He was lined basically wide nine, two-point stance. He has a really good stance at the line of scrimmage, good forward lean, and he explodes up. I wouldn't say he's the most explosive or the most bendy 
I think he has enough bend. I think it's functional, and I think he has a solid overall first couple steps. But the ability to generate power with his explosiveness, I feel like, is something that really interests me. And the one sack against Iquanu, where he did explode up the pass rushing arc, he landed his inside hand, and then he just won the leverage battle and drove his feet and just turned Iquanu's outside shoulder forced Aquanu to commit his hips a little bit too early, and it wasn't a great set by Aquanu, if I'm going to be real here, but still, the resilience that Tom and Fox showed to press the outside shoulder, bend around the edge, and then sack the quarterback was, to me, very impressive. And he had several plays like that where he was able to either convert speed to power with heavy hands, good timing in his hands, placement, the leverage that he plays with was another thing that I really appreciated. He had this one play against Pitt where he sacked Kenny Pickett and he just used his inside hand club to break the contact of the offensive tackle and then he ripped through the outside shoulder and it all happened so quickly, absolutely manipulating the tackle, ends up getting the sack. He had the sack against Duke that really stuck out to me on film. And again, Duke's not a powerhouse as we know but Tom and Fox was able to just absolutely bully the Duke tackle landed a long arm and drove through the Duke tackle put him on his back and then he sacked the Duke quarterback and this is things that happen quite a bit on his film and that's just with sacks he also was able to get pressure in a variety of different ways showed some counter moves I really appreciated what Tom and Fox could do as a pass rusher and I think there's a place on this roster for him which we'll get into in a little bit but I also didn't hate him as a run defender too I think that physicality translated to his ability to set a firm edge as a run defender and I think the way Wink Martindale likes to bring pressure a lot of twists and a lot of things like that this player can fit into that now you have to look at the Giants roster and you say is there a place for him because thankfully the Giants actually have some legit edge defenders right now with Aziz Ojolari, Kayvon Thibodeau they sign Jihad Ward and they also have Quincy Roche and then you look down the roster a little bit. You have Ellerson Smith. I still remain high on Ellerson Smith. think he's a great athlete. think his lateral agility can be leveraged well in this system. O'Shane Zimenez is still on the roster. Trent Harris, according to our lads, and Nico Lailos are still on the roster. Different type of players than Otaman Fox. But Fox, I feel like, can beat out an O'Shane Zimenez to make this roster. And it could even make sense. Just because this kid was undrafted doesn't necessarily mean that I feel like he shouldn't have a legit shot to make this squad on a, in a young edge group right now. I mean, there's other than Jihad Ward, these are all very, very young players, Trent Harris as well, but I don't know if Trent Harris will ultimately make this team seem more like a Joe Judge type of individual. So I remain high on a couple of these guys making the team. We went over the running back to Sean Corbin. I think he can make this team, product of the running back room being a little bit weak at the moment. I think Tom and Fox has a chance to make this team, and I really think two of the safeties we're going to go over here in a little bit can realistically make this squad as well. But if you want a player who is powerful as a pass rusher, knows how to rush the passer, can be used in a variety of different ways in terms of rushing the passer. You can send him inside. You can have him as a penetrator, a looper in the twist game. You can line him up as a wide nine and have him challenge offensive linemen angles. And he does a really, I would say, solid job keeping his own chest clean with different ways to strike and how to strike. He varies up his striking method. I think you, the Giants may have found this player in Tom and Fox as an undrafted free agent. I don't want to make this guy out to be LT. I'm not doing that whatsoever. But in terms of his chances to crack the 53-man roster, I do think that is realistic. And Joe Shane has seen plenty of Tom and Fox because Joe Shane watched North Carolina in person twice when he was studying Joshua Zudu and Marcus McKeith and Tom and Fox's teammates.
And speaking of teammates, the Giants also brought in another edge, Ryder Anderson from the University of Indiana. He was a transfer from Ole Miss, and he played one season with Micah McFadden, a season where he won Indiana's Chris Del Sasso Award, which is provided to the most outstanding lineman on the team. He was honorable mention all Big Ten his one year in the Big Ten. His stats look as follows. He had four sacks, kind of five, but one was on a two-point conversion, and I didn't see that one counted. I also think there might have been a penalty that restricted it, but still, I wanted to give him credit where it was due, and he had 15 pressures. I felt like he is somebody who played to his size, which was a long, effective player Ryder Anderson stands at six foot six 276 pounds 34 and a fourth inch arms with 10 and a half inch hands those are really great measurables and I think as we talked about with Hinton and as we talked about with Ellis he fits the mold of somebody that you can align at five technique in an odd front you can kick him to four eye he can use that length he has a solid burst upfield I think when you look at his overall size and you think about his athletic traits it's a pretty intriguing combination and it kind of jumped out on film I mean there were plays where he was the read defender and he used his solid upfield burst to play right through the mesh point that's exactly what indiana wanted him to do they wanted him to leverage those gifts and that length there was just one play against iowa in the fourth quarter where he was the read defender and i like the way indiana set up their defense because they had a three technique and then anderson was aligned as a five technique and then they had a six technique over the tight end and nobody blocked anderson he was supposed to be the read defender in a split back wildcat type of look and anderson's task was to just run right at the mesh point and he exploded into the mesh point and he ended up sacking the quarterback it's not counted as a sack because it was a design run but he ends up tackling the quarterback who attempted to keep the ball I felt like Anderson did a good job deceptively playing the running back and then running right through the quarterback at the mesh point also had plenty of plays making tackles behind the line of scrimmage excellent competitive toughness pursuit as a backside defender I like how Indiana used him all over the defense they used him at five technique they used him at three technique they used him in a two-point stance at edge so I like that kind of versatility like the size like the length I'm more optimistic about maybe someone like Tom and Fox making the roster but Anderson is a different type of player and when you watch his film he's not always jumping out with incredible athletic traits but he's always in position he doesn't make a lot of mistakes and that's something I really appreciate about Anderson's tape. All right, let's finally get to the secondary here. And we'll start with LSU's Darren Evans, teammate of Cordell Flott. He is a six foot two, 179 pound cornerback, and he's very long. He has 32 and a half inch arms, according to RAS. I think I even seen other metrics that said that they were even longer than that. And you could see it on tape. He looks very long, but he's also kind of high cut in his waist, which I felt like limited his transition ability in man coverage when when you have your hips that are very very high it's harder more difficult for you to change direction easily and smoothly specifically when you're moving backwards so uh, that was one thing that that I saw in his film and I also felt like he looked like his lack of weight hurt him more than even Cordell Flott's film so I think that's another thing to kind of monitor with the Darren Evans going through his stats this is somebody who 
was at Nickel State 2018, 2019 transfers to LSU in 2020. And Nickel State, I didn't watch any of his film from Nickel State, but he was productive at 10 PBUs his last year there. Comes to LSU, doesn't really see the field all that often in 2020. In 2021, he plays 471 total snaps with three PBUs. He only has one career interception in his time in college, which is not great. You want these cornerbacks to have ball skills. It's one of my critiques and criticisms of Cordell Flott, who also did not have that many ball skills, but he can't teach length, and that's something that Darren Evans has. And I felt like he leveraged that length well, specifically down in the red zone, which is definitely something that you want to bring into your building at least. He had this play against Arkansas where he was off inside coverage to the boundary, and he played this ball really well. The Arkansas quarterback threw it up. I don't believe it was Traylon Burks that he was covering. He does a really good job playing inside out, locating the football, jumping up and getting his hands on the pass. That was impressive. And then I watched the Kansas State game and he did something very, very similar. It was inside leverage, only this time it was to the field, so there's a lot more ground to cover here. He was out on an island all by himself, and I felt like he was disciplined at the line of scrimmage, something that was pretty consistent every time he was aligned in press coverage. And on that play against Kansas State, he does just an excellent job kind of not taking the bait on the inside release when the wide receiver fires his feet, and then he closes with on the outside fade, locates the wide receiver as he attempts to turn back shoulder, flashes his eyes up at the football, and then gets his outside hand on the football to just disrupt the catch point. I felt like that was a very good rep, and both of those reps against Arkansas and against Kansas State came in the red zone. So you love to see that in the high leverage type of situation. Also saw a nice PBU that he had on a quick slant route against Florida. So when you can leverage your length and use your length, then I'm interested. But overall, I didn't feel like his movement skills were great. He ends up running a 4-5-1, and I think that's probably consistent with what we saw on film. Ran a 1-5-8, 10-yard split. It's respectable. His three-cone was sub-7, which I felt like, oh, it's a little bit shocking. Didn't necessarily think he would have a sub-7 three-cone, so you got to take note of that. Short shuttle wasn't that great at a 4-3, and then his broad jump was just 120 inches, so it was 10 feet on the dot, and then a 37-inch vertical, which does interest me. So take into account the length. You take into account the athletic testing that's solid. Again, I felt like on tape, it wasn't a huge liability, but it wasn't something that I felt like stuck out where you can see the twitch with Cordell Fly. I didn't necessarily see that as much with Darren Evans. New York also brought in Zion Gilbert, a cornerback out of Florida Atlantic FAU. He is just over six foot, 193 pounds with 30.8 inch arms and sub nine inch hands. He jumped 40 inches in the vertical with over an 11-foot broad jump. Now, that is something that is going to jump out at you 100% of the time. He ran a 4-4-9, respectable 4-yard dash with a 1-5-4, 10-yard split. His three-cone was 7-3-2 and 4-2-9. Not necessarily something you want to write home about, but when you talk about the lower body explosiveness of a 40-inch vert and over 11-inch broad, you can come and you can talk to me. And I'll tell you, there were a few times on film, and just to be transparent, I don't know if I saw 40 inch, I didn't, I wouldn't expect that after watching his film, but there were a few times on film after that Marshall game that I watched where he was able to flip his hips and then close with very, very quickly. I feel like he's pretty smooth in his back pedal and he has some solid traits in that manner. There was this one play against Marshall where he was over the number three in a three by one set and he opened to the inside and it was an out route. So he quickly just flipped his hips, pivoted his feet, got his feet and his hips oriented on the out route in the quick kind of move the pocket type of concept that Marshall was running 
and then he played through the catch point to force an incomplete pass had this other play against Marshall a little bit later where he just clamped down in man coverage playing inside out on a quick curl route just excellent timing and feel to close the throwing window of the back shoulder pass and then against UAB a game where I didn't necessarily think he played all that well but there was this one play where he was outside and he got cleared out on a deep post route but it was all a ruse the running back was running a wheel route to the backside, which was his side, and Gilbert noticed it. So he quickly pivoted and then closed down on this wide open wheel route that the quarterback tried bulleting in there, but he was able to recover to Gilbert that is so well that he almost came away with the interception. Again, I didn't think his coverage was great in that game, but in that specific play, that showed a lot of processing and a lot of awareness on the route concepts, probably watches his film. So I didn't think he tested to the numbers that he showed, but I still think he's a pretty good athlete. It's a little bit grabby when he is in man coverage at the top of the breaks. Sometimes, but overall, I think you look at the Giants secondary, there could be a spot for one of these UDFAs. I think it's a little bit difficult, but if injuries happen, who knows? The Giants have Jerron Williams, they have Aaron Robinson, Adoree Jackson, Rodarius Williams, and then you have guys like Darren Evans and Zion Gilbert. There's a realistic chance that those guys could make it if they can prove to last on the outside of the NFL and training camp with Cordell Flott and Darnay Holmes possibly manning the nickel type of role. I mean, Flott, he could possibly pay boundary. That kind of remains to be seen. The Giants are going to bring in veterans and possibly players who are cut off of other rosters to compete after training camp for the cornerback spot. But Zion Gilbert or Darren Evans really ball out, then there could be a shot for them to crack the 53-man roster. Let's move on to the safeties, though, and I want to start with Jordan Mosley out of Maryland. So he played next to Nick Cross. Mosley is a player who didn't run all that fast, ends up falling going undrafted. He ran a 4-7 at his pro day. He had 65 tackles, 24 stops in 2021, and he had five PBUs, didn't allow any touchdowns, didn't have any interceptions, only has one career interception, which dates back to 2019. But you watch his film, and I wouldn't say that he's necessarily fast, but there were a couple plays where I was like, oh, damn. There was a sale concept against Ohio State where they Ohio State was aligned in a bunch set. And they ran Chris Olave, who originally was the number one off the line of scrimmage, up. And he was the deep threat in a vertical that bent towards the flag. Kind of like a seven route, only it was a very modest type of bend. But he was isolated against Mosley, who was the deep half player, and Mosley clamped down on Alave, got to that near hip, and Alave had maybe a step on him, but CJ Stroud underthrew the ball by such a minimal amount, and Mosley dove, barely made contact on the football, but was able to do enough to disallow the catch. And the fact that he was able to kind of keep up with Chris Alave all the way from the middle of the field, all the way to the flag, was pretty impressive. And he had a couple plays like this throughout his film where he was pretty sticky when he was asked to man coverage somebody. Now, that was a deep zone, but he ends up basically playing man coverage before the break through the break, and then into the catch point. So that's one thing that stuck out to me about Mosley. He was also somebody who wasn't scared to tackle. A lot of these safeties aren't. It's definitely something that I feel like is a criteria to play in the NFL these days. You can't have someone who's tentative in terms of coming down and making some tackles. So he has some ball production. He has some tackle ability. He's only six foot, about 200 pounds. He's listed at like 210, but as pro day, he showed up at 200 pounds, still ran a 4.7. I don't think he's an exceptional athlete, but I think he's a functional athlete. And I like him, and the Giants' safety room does not have all that much talent. But I like 
the next two players a little bit more. And I guess I'll start with Yusef Corker out of Kentucky. I'm a big fan of what Corker can offer the New York Giants. He's not he's different than the next guy we're going to go over, Trenton Thompson out of San Diego State. So I, I want to make that clear. I don't think Corker's going to be somebody who's going to drop into the box and play man coverage over the slot. I think that would not be a wise way to use his skill set. But if you're looking for a poor man's replacement for Jabril Peppers, a safety who is physical, who will lay the wood, who will fill the alley, not be a liability and run support whatsoever, and has the awareness and instincts to play zone, I would say to a solid rate, that is Yusef Corker. Corker was somebody a lot of people thought was going to get drafted. He ends up going undrafted, ran a 4-5-5 at the combine. He's six foot, 203 pounds, 23 reps on the bench, 34 and a half inch vertical. You could see those 23 reps on full display when he comes downhill and he fills the alley. I put up a tweet a while ago when it came out that the Giants signed Corker, and you just saw the kind of thumping hits that he laid on individuals. And this was throughout the SEC. This was against top competition. This is somebody who wants to tackle. He invites tackling, and he's very physical at tackling. One thing I will say about his tackling that was a little bit annoying, there were times where he came in a little wild little out of control but if he utilizes balance and control which i have seen plenty of times come square lay the wood take great angles to the tackle point he has done that great was a little inconsistent then you have somebody who can play that box safety role which i feel like will still be important in martindale's scheme even though he likes to maneuver a lot of these guys around and i think corker can also be a solid special teamer so i wouldn't ask him the man cover too many people but if you want him to do basically everything else a safety can do you want him to blitz he can execute all of those assignments i like corker but i think i like trenton thompson more the kid from san diego state now thompson he is another heat seeking missile he can lay the freaking hammer down but he's also pretty damn smart in coverage and he can play man coverage on tight ends and handle some of those slot responsibilities that we've seen Julian Love handle in the past. This is another player who had six years of college experience. A lot of these players executing their extra year of eligibility because of COVID. He played over 900 snaps in 2021. He played all over the secondary, ended up with 40 tackles, 13 stops, had a catch percentage of less than 50% with 14 PBUs and three interceptions. Also had eight penalties, so that's something else that should be monitored. But I think the path for Trenton Thompson to make this roster, I think he can make it just from being a defensive asset, but he's also a really key special teamer who has two blocks in his career, and he will be, I think, a very good gunner on punt coverage. So I look at Trenton Thompson, and I think this is a player that can make this roster. He's one of my favorite UDFAs, I think. Even between him or Tom and Fox or Corker, I like Corker a lot, and then Corbin I like. Those are the four that I think can realistically make this team. Problem with Thompson, a reason why he was available at six foot one, 196 pounds, good in run support, smart in coverage, making interceptions that weren't necessarily his responsibility because he's reading route combinations and coming off of those routes. But the reason he was available was because he did not test all that well at his pro day. He ran a four six one 40 yard dash, one six 10 yard split, sub or over seven three cone, short shuttle of four two six, which is solid. His vertical was okay, 35 and a half, and then his broad was sub 10 feet. But this is somebody who started a lot, has a lot of experience. Yes, he's older, but he has a ton of ball production. He's very physical coming downhill, which is something that you absolutely love to see. He may not be a burner. 
but I like his length. He almost has 33-inch arms. 6'1", I feel like he'd look longer than that, look taller than that. And I like the fact that he didn't seem overwhelmed. He seemed calm. He seemed like he knew what he was doing and where to be in coverage. He had this one play against San Jose State. It was an interception where he was covering. It was a 3 by one set to the boundary, so very, very tight. I believe it was from 12 personnel, so two of the vertical routes were tight ends. But he carried the number three, staying on the inside hip of this tight end. And once the tight end broke towards the flag, he flashed his eyes back to the court quarterback and saw that the quarterback was targeting the number one receiver who was running the vertical route. So he came off of the number three's flag route on the sale type of concept and just sunk underneath the number ones to come up with an easy interception that he still had to high point and climb the ladder. So maybe I shouldn't say it was easy. A couple of his interceptions were like that, where he high pointed the ball, showing some receiver skills. So I think there's just a lot to like about Thompson. And I think he can be one of those players like Chuck Clark or a player that Wink Martindale found later in the draft, a lot of those safeties that he used were like sixth round picks. Thompson is not a sixth round pick. He's an undrafted guy, but I do think he has a path to make this roster with the current state of the safeties on the roster and the fact that he can add a lot of value to the special teams room. And that's the quick review of the Giants 2022 UDFA class. A lot of these guys are a little bit older because of that extra COVID year. So you're going to be seeing 23, 24-year-old rookies possibly make this team. I don't know if any of these players will have that kind of impact. It's hard to live up to a Victor Cruz, but I hope that they can make the 53-man roster and supply the New York Giants in 2022 and beyond some value. Because I do believe there are several guys who have a realistic shot to make this team because of the current state of the Giants roster going through a turnover with Joe Shane coming in and because some of their skill sets are, I would say, NFL type of skill sets that fell for one reason or another, whether it be injury, age, what have you. Alrighty, everybody, for Nick Filato and Dan Schneier, this is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Please leave a comment, subscribe. Dan and I are excited for the season. We're excited for this journey with all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in, signing off, everybody. Take care of each other. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.